This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 730, Flashback, December 1990s. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 730. It's our flashback episode to uh, books that shipped with a cover date of December 1999. I've done a bunch of these recently. Part of it's because uh, we're soon going to be losing, at least in its current form, comicbookdb.com, one of my favorite websites on the web, especially when I was uh, conducting all the interviews uh, that I've done over the last five or six years uh, for the podcast. Whenever I talked to someone, I would always bring up a chronological listing of all their works and comics, and it was just a great way to kind of uh, do a framework in terms of the types of comics I want to talk about, um, major points in their career I wanted to hit as well. So I'm really going to miss not having, at least in its current form, comicbookdb.com uh, as it is closing its doors on December 16th, 2019. So for people who love it, uh, it's almost gone. So um, I thought because of that, I would do a bunch of these flashback episodes. Uh, I did a November 2009 episode, which was kind of looking at books that were now 10 years old. I looked at books that were uh, cover dated November 2004, uh, for 15-year-old books, and now uh, probably the last flashback episode, like specifically like this, and having access to ComicBookDB that I'll do is books that were cover dated December 1999, so 20 years ago, uh, which is crazy. Uh, upcoming episodes. Um, so I will have an episode with Ben Rabb, uh, who wrote a lot of comics in the 90s and has also worked on some of the Arrowverse TV shows. Uh, we're going to be sitting down to have a conversation in about a week and a half, so that'll we'll probably... I don't know if that episode's going to be before Star Wars uh, episode or the after Star Wars episode. I'm not sure yet. Um, but I am also going to be con- talking once again to a great friend of the show and just a great person in general and a great person to talk to. Uh, Ron Friends uh, is going to be returning to the show uh, in a week and a half, I think. Um, so that might be episode... I don't know what episode this is. What did I say this was? 7.30? So I think episode 7.34 might be another Ron Friends episode. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about some of the books he's been working on this year because he's done, um, well, he's, he will have done by the time we talk to him, uh, two uh, stories as part of the 80th anniversary of Marvel, uh, both with Tom DeFalco. Uh, one, which was a Spider-Man one, and Sensational Spider-Man was the name of the trade. Uh, sorry, the uh, one-shot. And he's also doing a Thunderstrike story with uh, Tom DeFalco uh, for a Thor one-shot that I believe is coming out on the 4th of December. So I think when I chat with him, it'll already come out, um, which is be- in some ways better because I can actually talk about the specific issue. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Anyways, let's jump into this episode. Uh, it's not going to be too long, maybe like, tw- well... Well, who knows how long, how long I can talk. But I want to talk about some of the books that came out 20 years ago. Um, so it's interesting. So a book, I, I don't, I'm embarrassed to say, I've never read this book. But it came out a long time ago, and it ran for 100 issues, I believe, um, is 100 Bullets, uh, which started in uh, in 99, because in the, the book's cover dated December 99, you had uh, issue number five, which is kind of crazy. Um Action Comics, uh, you had issue 760 published in this particular month. You had Joe Kelly was writing it with uh, Herman Garcia. I don't, I wasn't, this is back when I was in my Marvel bubble. So I really don't much know much about what the DC books were doing at this point. I think this is before Lex Luthor became president. I, I can't remember, but so it's a very, you know, it, it's, it's this time where I don't know much about DC Comics at all uh, in this particular period. Um, Adventures of Superman in this particular um 
a month you had a book that's credited at least on comic book db as being written by Stuart eminen and mark millar with steve epting on pencils um with a cover by phil yemenas with liquid graphics doing the colors that just sounds awesome <laughs> there's just something about that that sounds extremely like i want to read that now that sounds great that's a great creative team anyway um you had a, an angel uh book from dark horse comics you had the second issue of it uh by christopher chris golden and penciled by marvin mariano and christian zanier uh again i never really read any of the buffy related comics i was a big fan of buffy my uh, my friend was a really big uh, fan that's a t-war mate who's been on previous episodes of the podcast i was really a big fan of angel i love that show um but i never really got into the comics about it i don't know why i don't know if it was because i wanted you know books that were and this is such a snobby stupid childlike thought but i only want things that are canon and if it's not canon i don't want to read it who knows maybe i felt that way maybe i didn't but um which is why in some ways i'm surprised i never read the you know the season eight uh and onwards because at least that's quote-unquote canon because uh, the you know the the nebbish nerd inside me who wants everything to matter and 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 count uh would care um you had amazing spider-man issue 12 of the second volume not great uh it's by john byrne and howard mackey penciled by john byrne and uh this is a the part of like a two-part return of the sinister six storyline which is a weird version of the sinister six because um i'm trying to remember i think like i I, as i look at this i'm only seeing the cover of amazing spider-man venom was on the team uh it was i think during this storyline he like took a bite out of sandman and him for like a while sandman was like falling apart because part of him had been like digested by venom not a great period and like a month or two later mj was dead or at least thought to be dead and then wouldn't come back for like at least a year um just a weird weird time to to like spider-man which is unfortunate but you know i was I think even at the time, I, I probably knew it wasn't that great. But, you know, I was just, you know, loving comics, loving it all. I don't think I was as discerning. Uh, I'm, I'm probably more discerning now. I I do kind of long for the days when, you know, I could only afford a small handful of books, and those were my books, and I followed them through through everything, and those are the ones that mattered to me. And I didn't really know what was going on in other things, and I wasn't, I mean, at this point, I was trying to think 99 i probably read some wizard but i wasn't like buying it on a regular basis because it wasn't like a cheap magazine um yeah so it's weird to kind of think about uh you still had an azrael book uh, no man's land was still running like that's what was happening 20 years ago azrael was you know the agents of the bat and that his hideous like white costume with like a red bat on his chest i believe and he had like his hair flowing out it, it's not a good look at all and you had no man's land um that's 20 years old that's crazy i think 10 years ago i'm trying to remember no maybe it'd been 15 years ago no i think when oh you know what it was it was um when dark knight rises came out which was i think 2012 um i did uh an interview with joe illage uh, talking about no man's land what that was like putting it together long before i was able to have him on the podcast because i didn't have a podcast at the time i did that actually i take that back I think I did. <laughs> I think I just started it. But I don't think I'd even thought about doing interviews yet. It hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, but I remember, and so that would have been, at that point, it was probably 2012, 2013. So it was like 13 years um, after, you know, the, the book had originally come out. Actually, no, if it's summer 2012, I don't think I had the podcast yet. Uh, podcast would have started in August, but not that it matters to anyone. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that that is now 20 years old. Uh, you know, it's also 20 years old. Kurt Busiek and George Perez were still working on Avengers together. They were in issue 23, which has a great cover that I've always liked. You have, um, you know, uh, an image of Scarlet Witch kind of um, kind of faded or in the background. And you have Wonder Man and Vision um, kind of going head to head. 
and uh, I love this run, and uh, which again at the time I wasn't reading it, but um, I do enjoy it. Um, a comic I don't, I'm not sure if I knew it even existed until I saw it listed right here. Was Avengers United They Stand uh, issue two? Um, it was yeah, it was from Marvel. I was just checking it. I'm trying to think who worked on this. Um, who worked on this book? It was written by Ty Templeton, Jason Armstrong on pencils. Scott Koblish was an inker, and then um, let's see who was the editor of this. Tom Brevoort, Bob Harris, and Eric Leewald. Now that's interesting. I didn't expect to see that name. So Eric Leewald, for those not in the know, um, he was. You know, one of the main movers and shakers of the X-Men animated series. So apparently he is credited in some manner or fashion with the first seven issues uh, of this Avengers United They Stand book as editor. I'm curious if he actually worked on them or not. Um, It's a weird... I mean, the series was weird. I've never read read these comics. I would hazard guess that they're probably better than the actual uh tv show and it's interesting even seeing the logo it says marvel animated which is i've never even heard of that as a thing um and again i would not have known some of this stuff if not for the amazing resource of comicbookdb.com i'm sorry i'm just so sad i'm having separation anxiety i'm gonna lose this amazing thing it looks like um they they have it listed as marvel animated only ever being involved with two different comics spider-man unlimited and avengers uh, united they stand Uh, but that's definitely something i had never heard of before that's kind of bonkers to me, um, but very cool. Um, then moving forward, we got Batman again, part of uh, No Man's Land. Everything was this is back when Greg Rucka was writing it with Damian Scott and Art. Um, so Batman, it doesn't matter what I talk about, it's going to be related to that. Oh, I didn't realize this was twenty years old. Batman Dark Victory number one. Um, so after the smashing success. Well, I would, I would imagine hit smashing success. Maybe I don't actually know if that's true, but of uh, Batman The Long Halloween, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale reconvene for Batman Dark Victory, uh, telling the next story, and this uh, in- introduces Robin to it. Um, I've always really enjoyed it. It's a great book, and uh, it's 20 years old. Man, I feel old. Uh, Birds of Prey, the, uh, the great series, it hit its 12th issue. Um, 20 years ago, written by Chuck Dixon. Dick Giordano was uh, the penciler on this one. Yeah, Greg Land and Brian Stelfreeze credited with the uh, cover art. Uh, it says, Catwoman's ready to pounce on the birds of prey. It's uh, phenomenal to think that um, how old that is. It's actually crazier to think about how old the Birds of Prey TV series is, considering that the you know the comic only started like 20, 21 years ago, and yet that within three years there was a TV series. So that's actually pretty quick. And then then it took forever. Because of that TV series not being so great, it took years to ever have anything come back. What always interests me is that the actress who played, I guess, their version of of, um, of, uh, Laurel, although not a very good version, uh, is now on Batwoman as Alice. So things eventually come around. Plus, that version of the Huntress is going to be in uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths TV TV crossover. So it's kind of crazy. These things eventually, eventually everything comes around. You know, nothing has ever gone forever. Uh, Bone number 15, so the extremely well-loved Bone series was still going on. Um, that book, I felt like, took forever to come to an end. And I remember reading it when I was a kid in uh, Disney Adventures, um, like kind of a little uh, digest-sized magazine that I used to read. Um, the Christopher Priest Black Panther series reached its 13th issue, so it was only a year into its run, which, again... It's crazy that that's so long ago. It still feels relatively modern and contemporary, but it's really not. It's 20 years ago. Uh, you had, and it's interesting though, a book like that feels 
not as old to me. Whereas maybe it's just because Black Panther's world doesn't feel like it's moved so far beyond where that series was that it feels 20 years ago. Whereas I look at something like uh, Bishop, The Last X-Man. So this is, again, a book that launched in 99. It was on its third issue, cover dated December. It's by Joe Harris and George Shanti. And if you look at this book, you look at the costume that Bishop's wearing, uh, even the, the colors on the, co- on, on, the, um, on the cover and everything, and it looks like it's 20 years old. Like, it just feels totally divorced from anything current or any more modern versions of Bishop. Like, it just looks so bananas that it's like, when is this from? Whereas if you look up, you could read, I feel like you could pick up Priest Black Panther and you wouldn't feel that, oh, it's 20 years ago, jeepers. Like, whereas this 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 feels like it wears its age in its sleeve. Uh, it makes me feel older as a result. Um, I was, you know, reading... As I said before, a lot of Marvel books at this time. So we have Cable had its 74th issue by Joe Pruitt and Bernard Chang came out. Um, I remember reading it and being so disappointed because not that I was like the biggest fan of Rob Liefeld, but like the month before you had issue 73, uh, it was written by Joe Pruitt, but you had artwork by Rob Liefeld. It felt big, loud, and exciting. Um, you had, um, I don't know who did the colors because it's, I think it's, I'm actually not sure, uh, based on comic to be, it's not as clear. Um, but, like, you know, it just felt big and exciting. And then you get this issue by Chang. And, you know, I'm sure he's got great art usually. But it just felt so different and not in a good way at the at the time as a kid. Um, looking back now, I probably would enjoy it more than, you know, what we were actually getting by Liefeld. But, again, at the time, you know, I'm a dumb kid. I don't know any better. I just like things that look big, cool, and exciting. And that's, you know... That's not what we got in that particular issue. Uh, it was leading up to, you know, the end of the, the 12 storyline, which I was <laughs> super invested in. Um, now, this issue, I don't think I did. I realized that they worked together on this book. I just pulled up Captain America number 24. Uh, it's called The Difference by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. And, I, I mean, I love those creators. I don't remember them ever working on a Captain America together. And it looks like, you know, the issue before was by Jay Farber and Mark Wade with Patrick Zerker on, on pencils. And then the issue after, I believe, is the beginning of the Dan Jurgens run. Yeah, Dan Jurgens and Andy Kubert. So I guess right sandwiched in the middle is this odd little... Now, I kind of want to seek this out now and read it because uh, I'm such a huge fan of DeFalco in, in general and same thing with Friends in general. And them working together is always a special kind of magic. So now I feel like i got to go back back and 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 give that a, a read um it, even the, the cover looks very kind of retro maybe it was it almost looks rushed but i'm sure it's still good uh presenting crossbones and the absorbing man against uh, captain america again it sounds almost a little bit uh fillerinish that's not a word but i used it anyway uh catwoman hit its 75th issue um this is uh, again before it would eventually be uh retooled under uh what was it brubaker uh, and Cook, I want to say. Sometimes my memory fails me. This was another No Man's Land chapter, but this is by John Ostrander and Jim Ballant. Uh, so, you know, it's a, a very different period in Catwoman's history in terms of the, the visuals, uh, at the very least. And Cerebus was still going. It was at issue 249. Uh, crazy. It was, you know, still a number of years away from hitting its 300th issue. I believe it hit 300. Why am I forgetting things? Uh, Danger Girl hit its uh, sixth issue. Um, 
wonder how long that took. I'd have to go and like take a look at how long it actually took to get that published by J. Scott Campbell. Uh, that's a property that once in a while it'll kind of surface again and then go away. Uh, the ninth issue of Daredevil, um, which kind of tells you about the delays that were happening when you look at what, what did I say, issue 12 or 13 of Black Panther, but Daredevil is only on issue 9, so that kind of tells you about what was going on behind the scenes in terms of getting it out on time. It's written by David Mack, artwork by Joe Cusada. This is Parts of a Whole, Part 1, uh, which is uh, you know big for introducing Echo. Uh, so fans of the Echo character, she's she's 20 years old. Oof. Uh, Deadpool hit its 35th issue. It's hard to believe that this book had been running already three issues uh, by the turn of the century. Uh, whoa. Saying turn of the century just makes one feel much older. Um, what I forgot is that it was written by Christopher Priest at this, at this point, but Paco Diaz and Andy Smith on pencils. Uh, so that's a very interesting uh, time for, for Deadpool, that's for sure. Uh, it had moved on, I guess, from the, the Joe Kelly uh, version from a couple years earlier. Um, Earth X. Oh, man. EarthX is a book I loved. Um, I have a complicated history or interesting history with EarthX. I originally didn't even get to, I didn't have it myself because it was, it was kind of expensive when it was coming out. It was, you know, two ninety nine. I feel like a lot of books that I was buying were less. Uh, or maybe I'm just, maybe I'm wrong, but it just felt like it was, you know, that was U.S. actually. That's the problem. I, it was two ninety nine U.S. I don't know how much it was Canadian. I feel like it was very expensive. I feel like most books in Canada at that point were like two sixty five, maybe three bucks. And I just pulled up a, a copy of this um, cover, and it looks like yeah, it was four fifty. So I think that I wasn't able to buy the original singles because the price point was just so high. So those in the U.S. who complain about your prices of comics used to, you know, we were getting screwed a lot worse because of this the our dollar. And I, I found that they only ever adjusted it once in a while, and then they would just leave it there. Even when our dollar got stronger, we kept getting gouged for forever. Collected editions were even worse. Um, anyway, so I had a friend who would buy this book, and so I would you know pick up the issues at my comic book store and bring them to him, and he'd pay me, because uh, he couldn't make it to a store or whatever, and that's how I read it. I would read it at like, the library and then give him his issues. Um, and, and I loved it. I picked up the trade when it came out, and somehow, I don't know if I've ever finished it. Uh, I've read Earth X, I loved Universe X, but I feel like Paradise X... I had all the trades, and I was waiting for the final trade to come out, and I never bought Paradise X Volume 2. And to this day, I don't think I own it. And I don't think I've finished the story, which is kind of crazy, because Earth X was hugely important to me. I just loved it. I, looking back on it, there's so many words. It's so wordy. But I liked it anyway, and uh, we're getting like a return to this world soon, because it's been 20 years. So I'm excited to see what... Oh, I think it's called Marvel's X. So I'm excited to see what they have uh, in store for us uh, as we get to see that. Uh, we got over to the F's. We got Fantastic Five. That's right. Fantastic Five. Didn't know that existed? Well, there was a brief period where after the, uh, the first 12 issues of J2 and A next, uh, otherwise known as Avengers next, um, we got, I think, five issue runs of Wild Thing and Fantastic Five, and I picked up every issue. I really, I dug it. It was fun. It was by Tom DeFalco. I didn't realize at the time that, you know, it was by Paul Ryan, you know, who'd worked with Tom DeFalco on Fantastic Four before, and it kind of makes sense that they would work together. That's crazy. I had no idea. I'd, until this exact moment, I didn't actually realize who had illustrated Fantastic Four. So that's kind of eye-opening to me. Uh, fin- actually, Fantastic Five, I should say. Fantastic Four, at this point, was two issues, sorry, two years into uh, Hero's Return. It was by Chris Claremont and Salvador La Roca. Uh, a weird period. Um... I think, for the most part, it, it, it's fun. Um, does it all work? No. Uh, I'm excited to get the uh, Heroes Return Fantastic Four uh, complete collection soon. I think I have Volume 1 already, um, but I'm excited for the next one. Um, because, you know, it, it's, got some, it's got some weird stuff in it. You know, it's got... Well, 
basically what, what comes out of this storyline. And in this particular issue I just mentioned, uh, the truth about Valeria, they get the, you got this uh, Doctor Doom married to uh, Sue, which looks weird, but it, it, you know, there's there's something behind there. But uh, it was a weird period. But you know, I, at the same time, I look back on weird periods now with more fondness because I appreciate, for the most part, people trying something different or trying to you know push themselves. And are pushing characters in a different direction, so you know may have may that have maybe been my taste, maybe not, and maybe it's a little weird at times to look at something like that. But I think there's something exciting as well about trying something different. Uh, you know, not just sticking to the the same things all the time, but uh, pushing characters in new crazy directions. And I think you know for the most part, uh, that's what we got there. Um, oh man, this is a book I love: The Flash and Green Lantern, Brave and the Bold. This was a fun, a fun book. Uh, it's by Mark Wade and Tom Pyre with Barry Kitson on art. Uh, it's telling a, a you know various different points in their career. This uh, the uh, fun uh, team ups between uh, Flash and Green Lantern. A lot of fun. I mean, it's Mark Wade. Uh, what's not to love? And Barry Kitson, who's a great collaborator with him, and as well as Tom Pyre. This is just such a great book. I'd always recommend going back and giving it a, a read. Uh, speaking of Flash, you had Brian Michael Augustine and Brian Mark Wade working together on Flash. Um, this is an interesting period, too. It's by Paul Pelletier. It's not long before Jeff Johns uh, becomes the uh, the new writer on The Flash. And this is when you had the, the Dark Flash I'm not going to spoil who he is, but it's a 20-year-old mystery. Uh, but it was a mystery at the time. I remember reading, like, uh, Wizard or seeing someone else's Wizard and seeing that, you know, people speculating who it was because we saw that he revealed his identity to like, the other heroes and they were okay with him running around as the Flash, but we were like, well, who is it? Um, so I'm not going to ruin that. Fuck you guys. It's been 20 years. I'm not going to ruin this, 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 uh, uh, this, this mystery. You got to go check it out to find out. Uh, Gambit had a, an ongoing series, which I don't think I picked up. I think I only ever picked up one issue that was part of Maximum Security, which is not a good reason to pick up anything. Um, but I did. Um, <laughs> it was it was not great. Uh, Generation X was still going. Um, you know, I, I think of that book as such an early '90s book, and so the fact that it was still going in '99, obviously it still was. But it's interesting that it was still, you know, chugging along. Um, I'm trying to remember. This was. Not quite at the revolution period, but we're getting close to revolution. So I think revolution was what after it was only a few months after this. Um, so you're getting close to the point where everything you knew about Generation X, X Force, and X Man gets thrown out the window, and they try something completely different. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so this is before that happened. This is back when Jay Faber was still writing the book with Derek Robinson on art. So it hadn't gone crazy yet. The uh, you know the big reinvention hadn't happened yet. Uh, Green Lantern. Uh, you had issue 119 by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks. So I think you were only maybe a few months away from Jed Winnick uh, taking over Green Lantern, uh, which I really enjoyed. But Ron Mars did a great job with really making you care about Kyle Rayner. Um, I have never really read a lot of Hellboy, but there was you know, some Hellboy stuff going on here. Uh, the Odd Jobs uh, softcover. Um, Hitman hit its 44th issue. You had Hulk number nine. Hulk had a bit of a rough time at this period, too. He had Ron Garney and Jerry Ordway are credited with the writers and Ron Garney on art. So I'm trying to remember why this was happening. Or I think John Byrne had left the book, um, so which is why you have kind of someone else kind of cycling through. You had the 55th issue of Impulse. Uh, you had Iron Man hitting his 23rd issue, which was part of my favorite run by Kurt Busiek and Sean Chen, which I have in a glorious hardcover omnibus, which I've always thought about also getting the complete collection, just because it's a little easier to read on a regular basis, but definitely my 
probably my favorite version of Iron Man. It, reading it now, it, it feels like a totally different character, um, or at least so different from what we have you know, now. Because now when everyone writes Tony, for the most part, you're kind of getting a version on the Robert Downey Jr. version of the character, which was not how he was written before. Um, so I'm always a little sad about that. Uh, Jingle Bell, the, um, uh, the Paul Dini character, or Paul Dini and Bruce Timm created character, I believe, uh, had its second issue uh, in uh, December 99. Uh, you had the fifth issue of JSA, so it was, it was still pretty new, and you had the 36th issue of JLA. So JLA was three years in, JSA was just in its first year. Uh, this is World War Three Part One in JLA by Grant Morrison and Howard Porter. Uh, Howard Porter, such a great artist. I loved his take on the uh, on the JLA during this period. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, L-wise that I remember reading. Uh, we had, uh, oh, you know, it's interesting looking at comicbookdb.com because sometimes it'll just like have, you know, it'll list books but that aren't published in North America, but they're published somewhere. So you end up with like Panini books sometimes, and sometimes it's hard to, to know what you're looking for. Uh, a book that was still going at the strong at this point was uh, Mutant X by Howard Mackey and Carrie Car- Nord. Always loved this book. Was so glad in the past year when we got complete collections, collecting it all together, because uh, it's just it's so enjoyable. Um, and you know, it feels very of a bygone era, but a bygone era I'm okay to go back to. Uh, new Warriors had a a new volume had come up by Jay Faber. I f- feel like people didn't really like this version of the New Warriors. I feel like it didn't last very long. Um, had this character, I forget his name now, but he had like a, an armored piece that on his chest, and I think he got powers from it. I think Nova had a weird redesign. Not my favorite version. Uh, I still like it more than the weird kind of fame-hungry uh, reality TV version of the uh, New Warriors that would eventually be the impetus for, or the characters they were used to cause uh, the main conflict in Civil War. Um, Peter Parker's Spider-Man, so there was only two Spider-Man books at this point in time, or at least two main mainline books, so you had, uh, you know, often stories would start in Amazing and go right into Peter Parker, so even though you only had two books, you really, you know, they were they were functioning together, you really couldn't buy just one, for the most part. Um, once Paul Jenkins comes on with issue 20, they become completely separate entities again, but not until that point. Uh, Robin hit its 71st issue, again, part of No Man's Land at this point in time, uh, Sam and Twitch, and it's a fifth issue in 99. Um, I never read Sam and Twitch, so, so I don't really know much about that series. I know people like it. I know people liked it a lot. Uh, it was just not something I was ever really kind of knowing. Um, it always interests me to go back and see that Sonic the Hedgehog had been going on for so long. Because um, I've only recently become a Sonic the Hedgehog uh, comic book fan. That's mainly because of my son. And, you know, it's been ongoing for, like, I think, 24 issues since I bought the relaunch, I think, last May. I think there was, like, an issue every month, every week, I should say. So I bought that all for my son. So I, I read that, but I don't really know much about the character. So he still had a comic way back when, you know. I feel like there's always been a Sonic comic somehow. Uh, Spider-Girl, a, a dearly departed title that I always enjoyed, but it was by Tom DeFalco and Pat Olive, and uh, the 15th issue uh, hit in uh, 98, so it was during the you know the first two years, uh, prime Spider-Girl period. I mean, obviously it ran for a long time, a lot longer than that, but there's just something about that first little while that was especially special. Um, and then moving forward, Strangers in Paradise is a book I've never actually read, uh, but it was, it was running at this point. You had Superman 151, um, so this is by Jeff Loeb and Mike McCone. Man, look at the creative teams on these... I don't remember any of these because, again, I was you know, such a Marvel fanboy or Marvel zombie that I wasn't picking them up at the time, and I regret seeing such a great creative team. So I'm like, oh, man, what were they doing? Uh, but I feel like 
maybe it didn't work out because I feel like there was a, a major uh, revamp across the line like a year later. Um, so maybe even though all, all these amazing creative teams were working on there, maybe it just wasn't enough. Um, Thor was in at its 18th issue in the Heroes Return volume. I've talked about that uh, in prior episodes with a uh, friend of the show, Tim Riley. Uh, Thunderbolts, a book I love, um, I think was about to lose its uh, its original writer. It was issue 33, so this was the Hawkeye leading the team. They're about to get a new uh, base, uh, Mount Charteris, I think it was, in Colorado. Um, they're going to have a new member of the team. Uh, Ogre would join the team, and it looks like, yeah, it looks like it was the last issue by Kurt Busiek before Fabian Nicieza took over, uh, the, the book over with issue 34, um, which I... I, a controversial opinion. I almost think I like Nicias's Thunderbolts more. I, I mean, you couldn't have it without music, obviously. And a lot of what Nicias did was kind of follow the same through line uh, in terms of you know what the book is really about about these guys discovering maybe they could be heroes, um, which is such a phenomenal concept for a book and I feel like every time we've gotten a return to Thunderbolts it hasn't been the same it's been like you know they're being forced to work together kind of like Suicide Squad or you know something like that whereas the original version of Thunderbolts in terms of these people finding the heroism even though they used to be villains is you know very um, positive and uplifting and optimistic and I feel like we don't get that enough in anything anymore um, let alone comics uh, which is where a lot of optimism used to used to live um, which is too bad. There was a Tomb Raider of the series, uh, issue number one that came out 20 years ago. Uh, Uncanny X-Men 375. Whew, that was uh, the quote-unquote death of uh, Wolverine. It just happened in a different book. And I believe Astonishing X-Men number three. Um, so then you have an, an autopsy done here, and we find out that he has been replaced by a scroll uh, long before Secret Invasion made a passe. Um, it's interesting to go back and see that kind of stuff happening. And... Um, what else we got here? We got Wild Thing, the third issue of Wild Thing. Uh, Wolverine hit issue 145. Now, that was a big deal. So you read uh, X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 375, and find out it's not really Wolverine who died. They go over to Wolverine 145, and I believe that's the big issue where you see how he finally gets his adamantium back. Uh, spoilers? Yeah, this one I'm going to spoil, not the other mystery from before. Um, but the big mystery here is, uh, you know, who, who, who was going to get that adamantium back into him? How was it going to happen? It was Apocalypse. He's been turned into um, a horseman of, you know, the, the horseman of the Apocalypse. He's deaf, and that, that's how we got the, uh, the adamantium back. And not only did he get it back, it's actually the adamantium that up until this point uh, was actually inside uh, Sabretooth, which is kind of mean to Sabretooth. Uh, over on uh, in X-Men, you had issue 58. Uh, there was only two issues, I believe, until... Or maybe there's... I think there's... Maybe, you know, I, I'm wrong. There's, I think, three issues after this, and then it becomes part of Counter-X, uh, which is, for X-Men, something I loved. Uh, although I feel like if you had been reading X-Men all along, you would not have liked what happened to him. And uh, one last book to talk about, uh, Young Justice. The original Young Justice hit its 15th issue by Peter, Peter David and Todd Nock. Uh, and that was a delightful, delightful series, which eventually gave way to Teen Titans, where the char- characters ended up growing up. Anyways, that is our uh, flashback episode. Thank you so much for, uh, for putting up with my, uh, my nattering as I look through and remember books that came out 20 years ago. Nothing makes you feel older than remembering. Like, it doesn't feel that long ago, but I'm like, man, I was a kid. I was a kid when I was reading these books, you know? I, was, I had just turned 16. Um... 
I turned 16 November 1999, so I, I was a 16-year-old reading these books, and uh, again, I wasn't even into comics that long, because I feel like I, I didn't have my youth spent in comics, it was my teenagerdom uh, where I really got into comics, and uh, again, I was a Marvel zombie, and it wasn't until maybe three years after this where I really started exposing myself that sounds really wrong, uh, but when I first started uh, being exposed, that's still bad, uh, to uh, non-Marvel books. and uh, but So a lot of my interactions here is like I know certain books or I remember certain books being talked about, but really it was the Marvel stuff that I was actually reading and enjoying because I was just a zombie. Anyways, you can rate and review the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, listen to us on Stitcher, and you can also email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.